Hello and welcome back. You are tuning into the Between Two Worlds podcast and I recognize that some of you are probably waiting for part two of the two-parter that I have just published part one of with Danielle and that is coming, that will come really soon but something in me said this piece needs to come through while it is fresh and so I just had to listen. That's simple as that. I'm sorry, and it will come. It'll come really soon, but this one wants to come through now. So here it is. Oh my goodness. Am I in the middle of the two worlds right now? Probably foolishly, I didn't actually ever expect that I would be reporting to you from that real deep, messy middle of integrating a transformative experience but here we are this is what's happening so i've been going through what i could only describe as a non-psychedelic real world waking consciousness harrowing psychedelic journey i can only really liken it to the feelings that I had when I was in the depths of my most challenging ayahuasca ceremony that I've ever embarked upon, except this time it was my reality. It was my normal waking consciousness, so I couldn't escape it. There's so much that has probably contributed to that, just the global context right now, which I talked a little bit about a couple episodes back but also so it feels like this collective density and grief coupled with some of my own personal stuff so reckoning with myself me myself and I as um, I think someone once said to me this wise old woman when she met me she's like you are a woman in a battle with yourself and that felt very true so here I am in the messy middle I am talking to you now probably in a more upbeat tone and that feels very authentic. This feels like where I'm at at this particular moment, but definitely probably 48 hours ago, I was in the grips of grief and fear, guttural sobs, like the kind that you hopefully only go through a handful of times in your life. I've been doing some energy healing work here in Ubud. I also have, like I mentioned previously in other episodes recently gone through the start of an IVF journey which is only I mean I say the start but I think one thing that's really important to recognize is that when people start IVF that is not the start of the journey it's been years of pain and loss and grief usually that precedes um, sitting in that doctor's office and saying please help me I don't know what else to do so there's a lot of stuff sitting there And then I come here and sure enough, it, yeah, requires me to sit with my shit. And usually I find when I'm here, there'll be at least one day. So usually I stay a month at a time. And usually there's at least like one day where I'm just completely knocked down, like steamrolled. And I have to spend a day on like bed rest. I'll get really sick or something. And it comes quite quickly and it feels horrific. And I go through writhing and convulsing it's quite a physical thing usually like I'm I don't know purging something and then usually it passes and I'm always so grateful every time I've learnt now to just let it be because I've learnt having gone through it enough times that it does pass 
So when it hits now, I'm not so scared and it passes, you know, 24 hours later, I'm like not only back to normal, but usually funnily enough, and this is kind of the theme of this life of transformative experiences is funnily enough, I usually actually emerge better than I was before having lightened my load in some way with some new insight that I often get in those days I spend in bed kind of shaking and (laughs) getting out whatever needs to come out. But this time it didn't feel that way. This was something new and darker and scarier. So I had to go through that really awful day two days ago of just grief, crying, feeling of this existential like void that I was about to step into, which I've kind of glimpsed at in prior plant medicine work, just that moment of ego death. There was one image where I felt my body was like sand and it, it started to blow away in the wind and it felt like everything I knew to be me was going and the, you know, that deep core ego part of me was petrified nothing has ever felt so scary but actually in the plant medicine journey it then stopped and it said you know I was kind of I realized in that moment I was chasing that ego death that I'd read about in all these books and I'd listened to podcasts about but in the moment something stopped me and it said you need to hold on to this for now you actually need this for this chapter of your life Maybe not forever, but you actually need this. And it felt like it was the only way I could describe it as kind of like one of those ropes that you hold on to. Like say if you're walking through, I don't know what you'd be doing, walking through a dark room, but you know, some haunted castle or something. And you might hold on to a rope along the side to guide you to where you are. And it felt in that moment like my ego was actually that rope or that tether to the 3D material reality. And it was kind of like, don't let go of everything right now and just become ether because you still have work to do in this. I don't know what this is, but let's call it human existence. (laughs) Um, So then coming back around to this particular whatever this is that I find myself in right now, it feels like I was ready to let go of a bit more of that and that survival mechanism in me that part that does not want to cease to exist just gripped on so tightly and it I was in the clutches of like fear of death I I can only describe it as I felt like I was dying and it was clear as day to me like I wasn't actually confused about what was going on I was clear and the voice kind of said if you don't let this through you will die And I still don't know what that means. And this is integration. Like this is me speaking to you from a place where I haven't yet integrated these messages because now I'm trying to look at this message from a few different angles. And the work of integration often is not taking things so literally. So this concept of death that I felt was kind of impending. At the time I was like, am I gonna die? Is someone close to me gonna die? I'm looking for the literal answers, but I've since started to just question that and feel into what needs to die about this current iteration of myself. Rather than a literal physical death, there's something that needs to be released 
in order to move forward. And this is coming into a time where, you know, I'm about to, in a few weeks, have an embryo transfer and hopefully start to grow a healthy baby. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm being asked to transform in some way and go through this metamorphosis. And I'm reminded of that analogy about a butterfly that when it's in its chrysalis from, you know, the caterpillar stage, it's becoming a butterfly. There is a period of time where it becomes like a soup. It's like a liquid and it has to completely let go of its caterpillar self and let itself become liquid, which I can only imagine every part of your system, your cells that try and survive at all costs will be screaming at you. Do not let yourself turn into liquid soup, butterfly soup. But then it starts to form into the next iteration of itself, which is unimaginably beautiful. So let's just hope that's what's happening to me because For me to integrate what has been happening, a big part of doing that and what always has helped me through these times, which now I'm trying to, I guess, pull out those nuggets of wisdom that might be helpful if other people out there have gone through similar stuff, because I know that energy in the world is very chaotic right now. I need to have hope that there is something worthwhile that comes from going through this pain and as always, I opened a book the next day after this particularly hard day where I was still, I was in shock, to be honest. I couldn't really articulate what had happened and I found it hard to uh, connect with people because I couldn't explain myself. But I opened a book that I'd been reading and it was a super weird book, honestly. But it was to a page that almost exactly hit on my experience and what I'd just gone through and what needed to be released. And you cannot write this stuff. Like this is the serendipity that starts to happen when you start to release into some of this crazy shit that you just cannot explain. (laughs) And you just know you have to go through it though. And just like, it's like, hold your nose and jump into the deep water. So things that have helped me I needed to find a sense of meaning and hope. And this comes up in my research, in my PhD research, looking at how people integrate ayahuasca experiences. You need to make meaning of it in whatever way resonates with you. So there's a difference though between spiritually bypassing, which is to just do the love and light and positive vibes only, and everything happens for a reason. And it's kind of dismissing the darkness and That's not what I mean, but trying to find a meaning that feels very true for you, that can kind of be your beacon of light that gets you through the hardest bits. And you might like the meaning that I ascribe to things on day one or two after experience like this is not probably what I end up with. It's going to evolve and change as I deepen into my understanding of it. And that is how I see integration unfolding. But something anything at the start and often times for me that comes through books or kind of podcasts like hearing other people's stories even though they are never going to be the exact same as my own if you kind of ask and and this won't be for everyone I know not everyone in my audience is this way inclined yet (laughs) I will say yet but I do when I get 
to the point where I'm at my knees and I'm crying and my body feels like it's giving way to some energy that is coming through me. And that's what happens. I mean, we all have this in us. We all have this deep existential pain inside us, but it's scary to look at, right? It's scary to shine a light on because some people think they will be completely swallowed up whole if they look at that. And that's the part of me that was resisting this. That's the ego that just wants to survive. But when I'm on my knees in that way, and I am not a religious person, but I will ask something else, some higher power, whatever you want to call it. I like to call it kind of universe, but more specifically like my spirit guides, which is a term I resonate with. And it feels like to me, there is some source of guidance. Part of it's in myself. It's like my higher self. Um, but also part of it feels a little bit external, like other souls that might be connected to my journey in some way. And I just ask for help. And I think that is the most powerful thing you can do because every single time I've ever got to the end of my, well, seemingly the end of my ability to cope with the bigness of pain or grief or loss, when I finally lay all of my resistance down and just say, please help me, it comes every time. And I have goosebumps saying this because I don't know if I'm being reminded that they are there. And I know this may not resonate for everyone, but I promise you, if you do ask for that help from a place of real intention to connect with that source of help, wherever it may come from, it might be your dog, your partner, but you ask it more to the universe, not to a human being. And it will come and it always does. And opening up the book that next day, I could not believe that these words weren't written just for me at this moment. It was the page I was up to. I was almost at the end of the book and it spoke exactly of what I was going through. And yes, I'm reading things that are definitely esoteric in nature. So that's perhaps why it's, it's aligned, but everything that unfolded since even the people I spoke to and this kind of takes us full circle to today's episode with Michelle Gardner I wasn't sure I was ready to record a podcast episode because I was so kind of in shock and dazed and confused it was only 48 hours after this had really kicked off and something inside me though said go and do the podcast and usually I'm I've been trying to listen to my system at times now where I want to push past the barriers of exhaustion or when things just aren't feeling right. I don't do that anymore and I try and listen in and I cancel things if it doesn't feel right and I'm getting better at that. But this time it felt different and it said, go do the thing. And it didn't tell me why, it never does. And so you have to trust. And I did. And I went and met with Michelle and we sat together in this little tiny soundproofed meeting room, semi-soundproofed as you'll probably hear from the audio. And I don't know if it's gonna feel like this for you guys, but for me, the energy of this conversation completely shifted me out of the worst part of my funk. And I'm not completely integrated, like I said, but I'm really excited that Michelle's story, at least for me, shifted me out of that dark place. And so 
I'm not going to say much more because this is just far and away the longest intro I've ever done. But I hope that if you're going through something dark or even if you're not and you can just keep this in your back pocket for if you ever might. But I hope and trust that there's something in there for you too. And I know that I wouldn't have been led to go and do this podcast anyway, even when I all of me was screaming at me to cancel it. I just have to trust that there's a reason why it had to come together at that time, at that place. So I continue to trust. It is not easy. This feels like a very real moment in the type of journey that I'm trying to shed some light on in this podcast. I am in it now. I'm in the trenches. It is not easy, but it feels worth it. And that is all I have to say right now. And thank you for listening to my TED Talk. And I'm going to hand it over to Michelle and I in the booth in Ubud. Thank you for listening. As always, please reach out on, I think Instagram might be a good way to contact me for now. It's tessa.callycourt, C-O-W-L-E-Y-C-O-U-R-T on Instagram. If you want to reach out, if you have any feedback or thoughts, this resonates at all with you, please do reach out. And if you're struggling and you feel like you do need help beyond something that you can do with yourself, as always, if you're in Australia, there are resources like Lifeline and Beyond Blue. These are free services and I encourage you to reach out to them. And if you're elsewhere in the world, please check locally to what is accessible to you. Please enjoy. Hi everyone and welcome to our first ever in-person recording of the Between Two Worlds podcast. This is very new for me and partly born out of technical difficulty setting up a podcast room in Ubud. So bear with me and if the sound quality is slightly different than usual, I hope you're still able to extract the nuggets of wisdom out of this nonetheless. So I have Michelle Gardner here with me today, who is just really hot off the plane from spending some time in the Mediterranean. We met here in Ubud about, I don't know, six months or a year ago now. And we are yeah reuniting literally today to do this podcast. And we've just, before we've pressed record, already gone into so many interesting places we could take this. So let's see where we go. But welcome to the show, Michelle. Thanks, Tess. I think like all good heroes' journeys, we might just take it back to the earliest stage that feels relevant to you in terms of this journey that leads you here to this little podcast studio in the rice fields in Ubud. So just tell us a little bit, if you're comfortable, about who were you in your early life? What's the context of your story and where did you grow up and what comes to mind when you think of your early life? Mm, yeah, there are so many points where you could start. So I, I'm from Melbourne in Australia, and I grew up in a, I don't know, I guess a fairly, it's somewhat, in some ways fairly typical uh, working class family in the outer suburbs, a very, quite a diverse suburb. Uh, they had a lot of people coming from different parts of the world at that time and migrating. And dad worked a lot, mum 
um, had a lot of mental health issues, didn't work. Mm. I went through school and uh, went on to uni, went straight into social work. So I've always done stuff that's people-centred. Mm. And a lot of um, people, like particularly in Bali, uh, coaches and things have come through corporate and they're burnt out or something like that. But that's not my that's not my story. My story Guilty. Is... <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of us here for sure. Yeah, so that's not my story. My story is that I've always, I've always done the people-centred stuff. I don't actually know any different. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so you charge out of uni into social work, into mm-hmm. working with people, and what did your life look like then? So I'm guessing at this point you're probably early 20s, and you mm-hmm. have what we have termed offline as life one yeah. <laughs> of three that you kind of can break your journey into. So what was life one like for you? Yeah, so I, I joke that I'm on my third iteration of adulthood, <laughs> uh, which is actually very true. So my first iteration, I was married at 20 and he was 19 and we were together oh. from the time that we were 16. Uh, so very much like as soon as I finished school, I moved out of home and I was very focused on, you know, getting ahead financially, buying the house as quickly as possible, doing the marriage, doing the uni degree. And I had done all of it. Um, at 21. Wow. So I kind of had this moment where I was like, okay, do we now have kids? Because I don't Mm. know what else you're meant to do in life. Mm -hmm. Because that was more than I had seen role modeled from my parents. Mm. Uh, Like my, I had an aunt who had traveled, but for me, I saw her as kind of being this outrageous Mm. kind of person. Renegade. Yeah. Yeah. Because she'd kind of gone outside that, that quite, I don't know, Outside, outside that box, I suppose. Mm. So, yeah, I, at 22, went into um, the child protection sector and I was working in the child protection sector for six, about 15, 16 years. Wow. Yeah. And what was that like? I'm guessing that is a job, at least as far as I know, it seems like there's a lot of burnout, compassion fatigue, and I'm not saying that that's not a reason why it's a noble profession, but it sounds like it's not easy work. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. I joke that each job that I've gone into has been easier than the last or lighter <laughs> on than the last. Um, I guess there are different challenges in different ways, but my first job for two and a half years was working in Frankston in child protection in the front end work. Oh my gosh. So going in and meeting families and making decisions about whether you would go to court, whether you would remove kids. Often they were angry, had a lot of crisis stuff going on in their worlds. Mm. And... Yeah, it was it was pretty full on. I burnt out, mm. uh, like a lot of people. I then went into long term casework and also burnt out. But also, I really, really loved it as well. I've mm. always been really dedicated and committed to the work that I've done, mm. and always been really, really good at it as well. But yeah, it definitely took a toll. So between renovating a house in the outer suburbs and working in crazy intense work, mm. that was uh, the first two thirds of my 20s. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, it sounds like your marriage might have been on the rocks or something because it sounds like that was around the time that things mm. did break up. So what was that period like for you and how did that kind of affect your next steps in life as you emerge from this life one which is probably the most conventional looking little parcel that you have (laughs) yeah yeah I guess you kind of you grow up and you create what you know to be possible don't you and that was all that I really knew to be possible our marriage was actually a really really good marriage like Mm. a lot of people assume that because it ended that it wasn't a good marriage Mm. 
and like there was a lot of love and all of the things that are meant to be in a marriage. I think it was probably about a year or 18 months before it ended, my grandmother died and she had been a really strong female role model for me. Mm. And at the time I got into journaling and I started tuning inwards a lot more. I started, you know, going to the library and collecting big piles of books about meditation and Buddhism mm -hmm. and all these things. I had no idea what I was collecting. <laughs> but that was kind of like my first opening to a different yeah. world, I suppose. And it's interesting, at some point after the marriage ended, my ex-husband said to me, you know, that was the time when things changed or when you changed in some way because I started questioning and I'd never questioned before then. Mm. Before then, I looked at my friends who are all doing like the secret life of us kind of <laughs> 20s lifestyle. And Great Australian show from the 90s. <laughs> if you have it, if you're dialing in from elsewhere in the world, you shouldn't find it on YouTube or something. So great. Yeah, yeah. So they were doing that kind of lifestyle and I was like, why would you want that? Why would you want to go through all of that? Mm. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, in the last couple of months before our marriage ended, I started wanting that lifestyle. So I felt like there was something that I hadn't hadn't taken advantage of. Mm. Mm. Just to give context for the people that don't know the show, it's like this kind of the young, wild and free, like trying on different people versions of yourself partying all of the things yeah. and so you felt ready to step out of your marriage and into what mm. what called you when it ended the thing that came to me was I just want to be on my own mm. I just want to be on my own I wanted to dance mm -hmm. I wanted to travel I wanted to move to the city mm -hmm. And yeah, I just wanted to expand my world in ways that I, yeah, I said I, I felt like I hadn't had the opportunity to, but at the same time, obviously I was, I was quite petrified and up until then I'd been pretty shy and pretty timid and all of that kind of thing. So that felt like a complete, it was a complete upheaval in every single way of who I saw myself as, as a person. Mm. Yeah. So brave of you to do that. I love every time I meet a woman, which there are plenty of them over here, that choose something like that. I feel just grateful that you did that and you get to share your story from the other side, from a, you know, wiser place in the future. And it gives people permission who aren't feeling yet ready to make big changes mm -hmm. that it'll work out okay and one day maybe like you, you'll be sitting here telling the story, it's in the rearview mirror now, and you've got all of these great things to show for it, but just taking that first step, it feels like a death of sorts, and we've talked about this a little bit. So in your city life, I think we've talked about this mm. offline a bit earlier, you talked about maybe a sense that there was something missing, it was great fun, it sounds like so much fun, but it was a bit surface level. So what started kind of calling you at that point? What were you missing and looking for? Yeah. You know, if I think about my my adult life, it's really been driven by big questions mm -hmm. and by big curiosity and always wanting to kind of get the undercurrent, like what's underneath the thing that is presenting itself. And maybe that's a social worker thing as well. Mm. It would make complete sense. And... I yeah I was dancing up a storm <laughs> I was on and off planes and trains and buses and all the things bicycles <laughs> and I was doing really really cool stuff at work I was studying like life was completely packed full mm. but at the same time I felt like 
just that there was this undercurrent, like something that I didn't understand, something that I was missing. Mm -hmm. And I felt that there was a sense that it was something spiritual and that my understanding of certain things about the world, like I didn't have a a real grasp of, Mm. but also I didn't have a huge amount of space to really have that in my world either Mm. I just felt that you know a lot of the conversations I was having like there was a level of depth that wasn't there or a level of meaning that wasn't there even though you know I was I was studying coaching and I was going to yoga and I was interacting with people from all around the world uh, through the through dance and all of those things but I just felt like it just felt really um, I want to say tangible but I don't think it's tangible I'm not entirely sure, but there was just, there was something that wasn't there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so where did that lead you? Because Mm. you'd you'd already done the big thing and like started all over and bravely moved to the city and embarked on this new world, but then you kind of had this calling to do it again. And where did that take you? Yeah. So my... My calling wasn't so much to do it again. I didn't want to start again. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> because I had been there and done it again and I knew what it took to rebuild. It takes something. It seriously takes something. Uh, but I guess there were a few things. One, through my work, I became really curious about the impact of trauma on the body mm. um, because I'd, I'd done so much research and things around the brain. I wanted to know what the impact was on the body, and that led me to doing yoga teacher training. Mm. I the whole time since I started since I studied coaching, I wanted to start a business, but I really struggled with that concept because it felt so far removed from the social work world. Mm. And whenever I tried to bridge those two worlds, I didn't feel like there was a way through. Mm. And even just like all the coaching stuff that was coming out at that time felt glossy and shiny and beautiful, but it didn't. For someone that's come from such a deep-rooted social work space it's dealt with like this really big stuff with people i was like cool they're talking about self-love or success or something but it feels like there's so much more underneath that that's not that they're not really hitting the surface with it felt Mm. like very um single dimensional at that point i Mm. think things are a lot better these days but back then it felt very single dimensional and very shiny perhaps and you've seen some I'm imagining working in Frankston for those people who aren't familiar with Victoria I actually grew up in Frankston South spent a lot Mm. of my youth as we've probably talked about and yeah you're seeing the real well the reality of a lot of people that are in struggle and don't have the shiny tools that you know coaches speak about self-love and all this stuff and they have pretty websites but like you say maybe there's missing some depth substance yeah substance is the word that comes yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. so yeah so I was really struggling with feeling that yeah there was a lot of substance missing all of a sudden in this new world that I absolutely loved (laughs) and I sort of felt a bit like I was on a hamster wheel in Mm. a way and it was like yeah cool I was doing the things but for what purpose anymore at the same time women kept I don't know how to put it uh, there were a number of women in my world who passed away and they were either in their 30s or their early 40s. Mm. And each time it hit me like an absolute ton of bricks. And I just thought far out, like, what are we actually here for? And what am I doing? Mm. Like, what am I actually spending my time doing? And am I living fully? And am I doing things to, the, to, to my total capacity? Mm. So 
Yeah, and I probably was doing things to my total capacity. <laughs> yeah. But I just felt like there was another level to it and another element of depth to it. Coming out the other side of my yoga teacher training, I had no interest in teaching yoga or helping people move their bodies. Like, mm-hmm. I found that batshit boring, the <laughs> whole concept of that. Sorry, yoga teachers listening. Um, I love yoga, but I don't, I'm not interested in teaching it. But... Um, yeah, the thing that I found really curious and that I loved coming out of it was um, the whole notion of everyone sitting in a circle and sharing, which was a part of the, the training. Like every week we would sit in the circle for a year. Mm. And I was like, there's something in this. Mm. And I found myself going to all these personal development and women's things. And at the end of the year, I was like, what's the common thing? Like, I can't keep going to all these things. Yeah. And I realized that the common theme was that the whole notion of sitting in a circle. And I was like, well, what's this all about? And I was like, I was doing heaps of facilitation at work. Mm. And I was like, surely I can figure out how to run a women's circle. Mm-hmm. So I just posted, I think I put like a one or two Facebook posts up and I post in like the local group that where I live mm. and I ended up with 18 women on my lounge wow. floor some of them were neighbours <laughs> and I had 40 something women in a group oh wow just from like three posts and it super organically just happened that I had a women's circle and for that year every month I had the circle and I also um, I started running a yoga class just because I wanted to have the experience mm. of having taught yoga even though I didn't love it mm. and I did that for a year until I felt like it was time to step it up a notch mm. um, and began working with a business coach and uh, that was around the time that I launched Aspire mm. I launched it between Christmas and New Year's in what year this was happening? Uh, the beginning of 2019. Oh, so interesting be- times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Between between um, Christmas and New Year's, everyone had gone away, and I was like, well, I had no plans. And I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, well, I can, I can start a business. Mm. And I had no one to ask, so I just did what I could figure out what to do. Mm. And I bought a URL, and I bought you know, the website domain and I just started making a website and I went back to work and it all went live. And I was pretty much working full time at the time. But the thing was that I launched it with what I thought it would be, which was like women's circles and yoga classes and I was going to run like the odd, I don't know, retreat or something. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I launched it, I went back to work, everything about it felt wrong. Mm. So the concept and the idea and working with women felt right and the name of it felt really right. But the thing is, I joke that the Aspire series, it's like a, it's like a hot air balloon. So it just basically wants to expand with air. Mm-hmm. And I'm just the person inside it. In a little basket. <laughs> In the little basket. Like literally all my job is, is to cut the strings on the ground and to fuel the source, mm. fuel it. Like if I try to be the hot air balloon, I kill it. Yeah, And that was really evident right from the start. I was like, I don't know what this thing is, but it wants to be really big. And it wants to be way bigger than me. And I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> and I, I was Sheesh. hiring. Yeah, it was, it was super, super scary. And I was hiring like this room at a dance studio on Sundays. And I was like, yes, like, you know, I've expanded. I've got like this room in this dance studio. Like that feels really big. But then it wanted to be way, way, way bigger. And then I was like, holy crap, it doesn't want to be in Melbourne. Ah, the penny drops. And I was like, well, if it doesn't want to be in Melbourne, where does it want to be? And so my mind was just turning over with all these things. I was like, I don't want to teach yoga. 
And then I was like, well, I got really curious about women's leadership. I love, I was loving women's stuff at the time and I had just stepped out of a leadership role at work and I really enjoyed that and I found leadership fascinating. Mm. And I was like, well, who in the hell am I to start talking about women's leadership? Mm. Like that is way beyond me. Anything beyond Melbourne is way beyond me. Mm. And at the same time, the year before, I had been invited to a number of plant medicine ceremonies. Ah. Every time... I was like, that is thoroughly crazy. That's not up my alley. No, thank you. See you later. Mm -hmm. But I had had a woman who I had met a couple of years prior in Byron. She came to one of my women's circles and she said, look, if you're starting to do women's work, you need to spend time with this woman. She's Mm -hmm. going to be in the Amazon jungle in June and you should go to her retreat. And so there were two retreats and they would have been for about a month. I had taken two months off work between June and July, the mm-hmm. whole of both months. I was a damn it, I did not want to be in Melbourne in winter. And at that point, I'd said that for years, that I didn't want to be in Melbourne in winter anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'd always thought, maybe one day I'll move, but I never did. And I loved it. I love being in Melbourne. So I had these two months off and I didn't know what to do with them. So you'd already planned the two months off yes. before this woman says to you, you yes. need to be there in June. <laughs> Yes, I had planned the two months off. Yeah. And the problem was I couldn't figure out where to go or what to do. I wanted to go overseas. I thought I wanted to backpack through China. But then at the same time, the China, I think they had riots Mm. that year. So that had all blown up. And I was like, okay, I can't go to China. And I was like, maybe I could come to Bali. But my thing with Bali was that I always wanted to know what I was coming for. Mm. And I've never been before. I was like, I don't want to go to Bali for no reason. You don't want to be the Australian with the bintang singlet. Exactly. (laughs) So I then started researching like the most spiritual place in the world and Uluru came up. Ah. So in the end, I'd been told not to make any risky decisions. I was in the middle of settling a property. I made the stupidest, riskiest decision ever, which was to fly to Peru to go to these two retreats. (laughs) And I also went to Uluru beforehand as well. Wow. Oh my gosh, what a spiritual, like, whack in the face. Those two places are some of the most potent physical sites, Peru and Uluru. Yeah. That I've ever been to. So, wow, having all of that, it's like having a wheatgrass shot all condensed into one little period of time. It was crazy. And then, yeah, I guess I I went and did all of that, then came back. And before I'd left, I was like, okay, am I uprooting myself from Melbourne? So I started preparing a little bit around that. And there'd also been a number of other things happen as well um, around my mum and all this stuff at the Mental Health Commission. Mm. Um, literally in the two weeks before it happened, before I left, it was all bizarre, like the timing mm. with all of these things. Or maybe it's not bizarre. I decided I wanted to travel the southern route of the Silk Road. I decided mm-hmm. I didn't want to just go and move somewhere else. I wanted to go and explore. And when I was in the jungle, I had a very clear question around, you know, what's the next iteration of my life? I mm-hmm. felt the chapter closing, 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 closing. The door was like three quarters shut. Mm. I was like, okay, I have this thread of a spire. I don't know what it is. I have this thread that there's a different home. Mm. I have no idea what it is. And I was like, what does this world look like? And I saw myself very clearly in a different jungle and bringing women in. They weren't women inside. There were women outside that I would be bringing into a different jungle. And this is a vision an ayahuasca vision Mm. so just for the people that are curious about what ayahuasca is if you don't know go back to episode four and five of the podcast with danielle 
who I met in Peru working at an ayahuasca center. She talks about this at length. So it's interesting that this is also a thread that's come into your story. So you had this, like an ayahuasca vision of yourself in another jungle. So paint the picture. What does it look like? Um, I came out feeling that it was Bali. Okay. Yeah. But at the time I was in it. And it's ironic, and it took me a long time to remember this, but I remember being at Tony Robbins a few years before Mm. and seeing myself kind of in a similar setting. Mm. Yeah, and I hadn't joined those dots for a long time. So, yeah, I came back and I was like, okay, like I have to prepare to leave. Mm. I'm not not ready in any sense, but I feel like I have to prepare myself to leave. And I booked my flight at the end of the September to leave to come to Bali but I in 2019 yeah but I didn't leave until the end of January Mm -hmm. but I also in the October had uh, a really strong feeling that there would be this impending doom when I left and there wouldn't be anything I could do about it wow can I just pause on that for a moment just because as we discussed a little bit before we started recording I'm going through a very dark night just in the last few days myself and trying to grapple with when you get this strong sense of some darkness or doom what do you do when you find yourself in that that Mm. must be scary when it's vague and you don't know what that doom looks like is it death of someone you love is it a global catastrophe is it yourself like what do you make of that and how do you get yourself through Mm. when you have this strong sense like that yeah um to be honest, I don't know if there's much you can do apart from be with it, right? And know that you'll come out the other side. Yeah. And the the, the awareness that you need will come when it's ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's scary. Mm. Yeah. And so you even had at that time, October mm. 2019, this strong sense that something something's up and you mm. were able to just kind of sit with it and know that clarity will come when clarity comes. Yeah, it was, I remember being a few days and just this sense that when you leave, there's going to be something really big that happens. Mm. And I just kept asking myself that whole six or seven months, like, am I still committed to going? And I just felt this deep sense that I had to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you have a choice on whether you say yes to the hero's journey. Yes. Yeah. So I left at the end of January 2020 and my plan was to be in Bali for five weeks. I thought that I would build a business in five weeks. My my thinking was always the business would, this would be a business home in some sense and that I would come in and out of it. I didn't, actually I felt like it was, there was a definite sense that there was a home here. And when I arrived, I had this strong sense of this is home. Mm. But I remember being in the jungle and it being like, yes, it's a home, but you're not there all the time. Like you need to leave and gather other learnings and resources and come back. Almost like a bowerbird, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was here for the five weeks and then this place felt like home and I was like, no, no, I need to go travel. That was always my plan. I'm not just going to one place and deciding that that's home. I need to go travel. And if it's still home, I can come back. Mm-hmm. So I made that deal with Bali. Mm-hmm. Um, I left at the start of March and went to a wedding in Penang. Mm-hmm. Then went to Vietnam and decided that um, I would start planning my trip Within a few days, I watched the world shut down like a stack of dominoes. Mm. And my family said, what are you doing? Are you coming back to Australia? And I just felt so strongly that I couldn't, that it would take me so long to leave, Mm. that I needed to, I, Bali was the, the option. 
yeah. yeah, Vietnam, I was very clear I didn't want to stay in Vietnam. So I returned to Bali and it ended up being two and a half years until I could leave. Oh my God. So, yeah, and there's there are layers and layers of that story, but, you know, I would say that the actual... I held on to a lot for a long time and I resisted letting go of a lot. Mm. I would say that the actual real, real death happened in the middle of 2021. Mm. When I let go, my friend, um, my Mm. friend who I was very close with in Australia, she was dying. And also the charity that I was working for in Australia was shutting down. And I had this vision of what the business would be and I went to launch it and nothing happened. Mm. My confidence was through the floor, like just all of these things. Yeah, it was like the, the very last remains of the Australian life were just crumbling. And I was like, but that, what do I do? Because there isn't another life that has even arrived. Like it's easy to let go of the old thing when the new thing's already arrived. Yeah. Or you can, you have like a strong sense of it. But all I had was you're going to be bringing women into the jungle. And I'm like, yeah, cool. The world shut down. <laughs> like, yeah. What does that even mean? So, yeah, it was, I guess the irony was that that was the space where my work in the world came from because every door was shut. Like yeah. I was in my house going, you know, I've reached out to charities. I've looked at funding grants. Like I've reached out to organisations in Australia about work. Like I just felt like there wasn't a, any indication of a way through. Mm. Yeah. I so know that feeling like when you describe it I feel myself viscerally going through it's like when you are on your knees Mm. that is when the thing comes but you can't rush the process like you have to get to that place and go through that for as long as it's there and then something sparks Mm. and so what was that spark for you what was the clarity that came yeah. I had to give my, myself permission to be in that space and to be okay with it, which was so hard because I'm a person that's always been very purpose-driven mm. and has always had a clear sense of this is where I'm going, this is what I'm working on, I know how to make it happen and ching, ching, ching. Mm. So to be in a space where literally nothing was happening, it was scary, super, super scary. Mm. What I did was I, I made a deal with myself I gave myself three weeks <laughs> and my dining room table and it's funny I give this advice to some of the women that I'm connected with now my dining room table like this table I just got white sheets of paper and I put them all over the table and left some textures there and I was like okay for three weeks the only thing I'm going to do is to write down thoughts feelings ideas and I'm just gonna see what ends up on the paper mm. so I just paid attention for three weeks and like I remember having um, a coffee with this random hippie dude in a sarong somewhere in a wood. <laughs> Not and, in a wood. <laughs> <laughs> and Never. he was like this old guy, and and he was just like, the thing you're missing, it's number three, and like number three of my big mentorship program was all around story, and I'm like, oh, what is he talking about? <laughs> so there were just all these weird things. I was like, what is that? So I just literally wrote down everything mm-hmm. until I started seeing themes and ideas and like, you know, what could this be? What is this trying to be? What's trying to come through? And what came through was the the, the very basis of 55 faces mm-hmm. and also a philosophy around how I wanted to work in the world wow. and a methodology. 
I have goosebumps. Yeah. That is a. Can we just pause on a few things? Yeah. This guy with the number three. Yeah. Also, you gave yourself three weeks, and then you end up with fifty-five. But I, I keep seeing repeating numbers everywhere, and people mm. think I'm crazy for noticing this. But when they happen. They happen and they happen everywhere. So I love also that you gave yourself three weeks because I think this is what is the secret source to breaking down this vastness that can open in front of you and like the void that can open up when you're in uncertainty. And I love that idea of just boxing it in and going, mm. I'm going to put a timeline on it because it's the only sense of control I can impose on this mess in front of me. And then you give yourself kind of space to explore within that but it doesn't feel so scary as it's just a forever thing Mm. it's time bounded I think I needed to hear that right now so thank you and then also 55 so do you Mm. want to tell people what 55 is yeah yeah so 55 basis so a lot of my work that I did in Australia was around helping children and young people to share their story and to advocate for social change in the child protection sector but also beyond that as well uh, and to speak with ministers, commissioners, CEOs about how they could create change. So change and impact has always been like a driving point and that for me has been a huge part of the bridge between the business world and the community sector. Mm. So that's why it's been so prominent for me. So 55, I literally, I'd had ideas coming to me around story, story, story. What can I do with story? I had done so much work previously in story The thing I was struggling with at that point was that that first year or year and a half in Bali, because I was still doing things with the charity, it was very easy to say, oh, this is what I did in my previous world and to still be attached to that identity because there was no new identity. Mm. And people were just like, yeah, cool, whatever, you're just a floater hanging out in Bali. Like we were called the stuck ones, the ones who literally got stuck here. So it was almost like there was no identity other than we're just floating around the island waiting for something to reveal itself Mm. so I was like okay what can I do with this and I had almost like a narrative process come to me where I would I wanted to ask women from all different parts of the world basically where they were from who they were where they now lived and their age Mm. and I wanted to ask them three questions so three questions were this is who I am in the world this is the next story that I want written for women and this is the next story that I'm writing for myself Mm. so they were the first three questions that came to me because they were the questions I was asking myself over and over and over again without even putting them down to those three questions it was like a summary essentially of what I was moving through yeah and one day I was like okay how many how many women am I going to ask my first thought was 30 because that makes sense one woman a day for 30 days, that's obvious, a month. Mm -hmm. And then something in me went, no, that's not what it's going to be. It needs to be a random number so that people pay attention and it needs to be a big number Mm. so that people kind of go, huh, what is she going to do? That's kind of crazy. Mm. And that's kind of, I don't know, I suppose that's been a bit of a thread in my life. Like whatever I've done, I've kind of pushed it a little bit further than the edge. Yeah. And um, so I, yeah, I just literally asked the universe and I just said, what what number give me a number I want a big random number and it gave me 55 and I went that's a lot of stories (laughs) (laughs) now I have to do the work exactly but the second it landed I was just like I was like who am I to say anything right now I was like okay that's where we're going Mm. and so I made a very basic google document 
that explained what I was doing. I made a list of 100 women. Mm. So women that were super close to me, women that I was petrified of sending the thing to Mm. because they were, you know, they could be my mentors or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just started and just hit send, 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 send until I sent it to every woman and then just went, oh my gosh, I feel like I've just handed my heart out via Facebook Messenger. Oh my God. <laughs> and this is literally all I have in the world. Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> I had I'd mentioned to my mentor that this was what I was doing and her response was, why would you do that? Why would you be promoting other people for free when you need to be making money? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I actually don't know, but I just have to do it. And this is the limitations of the guidance of others, I think. It's like, it's so useful to have mentors and to have people you can ask for advice and seek counsel, but then at the end of the day, you can't fully outsource your power to those voices. You have to be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I hear you and that's wise and I need to do this anyway. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I end up having a whole bunch of women come back to me and say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We would love to be a part of it. Mm Mm-hmm. I also had women say, you know, have you thought about making a book? Mm-hmm. I had women I didn't know send me friend requests on Facebook and say, can you please share my story? Wow. Literally all I was doing each day, copying their text they gave me and the photo they gave me and posting it. Oh, so it was just a social media kind of thing. It At that was... point, it wasn't going to be a book. No, it oh. was not my intention to do a book. I'd been a part of a couple of book collabs before and I had compiled a book with the charity. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was my book business done. Yeah. No, that was your book training. (laughs) That was my book training. That was the training. That and all this stuff I used to do with young people ended Mm. up being the training. So at the same time, I was meeting with Balinese and Indonesian women. Mm. I'd met a couple of Balinese priests and older Balinese people who had said, look, you know, whatever you're creating globally, you need to find a way to help the people on this island yeah and I felt very strongly as well that um if I've been planted here at this time there's a reason for that and I need to be able to use my skill set here on the flip side of that I was quite stuck because I also felt who in the hell am I to do something here I'm just this white person who's stuck here like I Mm. I don't know how long I'm going to be here for I don't know if I'll be here long enough to even make a difference or an impact Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I was, you know, watching all the things that go on around Bali. It's something I care quite a bit about, like all the growth and development and stuff. It's like, I don't want to be perpetuating a deeper problem. Yeah. So that was, that was my struggle. But then I had a Balinese friend who said, Michelle, if you don't actually do something, you are the problem. Mm. So I started meeting with Balinese women and actually with Lauren, who owns this place. Originally we were going to do workshops here. We're at Balloona House of Creatives, by the way, if anyone's hashtag. curious. Hashtag. <laughs> if if you ever find yourself in a wood and want a place to work, this is such a gorgeous place overlooking the rice fields and with a nice little office that we're in now. So shout mm. out to your friend. Yes. So we started meeting Balinese women and getting a feel for, you know, what was going on for them, what did they need, etc., etc., etc. Around the time that I decided to do the book... By now, 55 had turned itself into a book Mm -hmm. or it was going to be a compilation book. Mm. By the time I decided to do that, Lauren had said, you know what, I need to focus on Balloona. Mm -hmm. Don't have the space and the capacity. And I just went, okay, cool. What am I going to do? 
I still need to do something for Balinese women. Like I've been hearing all this stuff, I need to do something with it. And on a whim, I just thought, well, I'm doing one book, why not do two? Mm-hmm. I'll do a global book and I'll do a Balinese and Indonesia book. Mm-hmm. And the women who had supported financially towards the global book, that could then help to fund the Balinese book and uh, it could be an impact piece. Perfect. So this is kind of how it formulated itself. It turns out that 55 plus 55 plus me is 111. <gasps> Stop it. <laughs> so we had 111 women. These numbers I, are freaking me right? out. Right? I put a post on Facebook <laughs> with one woman interested. Mm. Maybe. She said she was maybe interested from my first 55. <laughs> she said she was maybe interested. And I went, okay, well, Rena might be interested, so I'm just going to run with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and That's I put a post. Need. Right? I put a post on Facebook and said, I'm making two books publishing 111 women's stories this year who wants to be involved and then I just went holy crap I just have to find these women mm-hmm. and bring this to life so the plan then was that with the women who are a part of the books I would have a summit in Bali I really wanted to have a women's leadership change and impact summit mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be in a bud mm-hmm. and the idea would be that the books would be launched at the summit so women from the outside were encouraged to come in for the summit and yeah, that would be my mechanism of how do I get these women into Bali? For what purpose do they want to come to Bali? And they want to come to Bali. Ah, I'm coming back to the Circling idea back. of the ayahuasca vision of bringing women to the jungle. Yes. I'd also seen a Balinese priestess as well around the time that just before I'd had the idea of 55, I'd seen a Balinese priestess and she said the exact same thing. She said, you're going to work with women that are doing important things in the world, but you need to bring them in here. They don't come from here. Wow. Yeah, so I'd had those two confirmations that it was going to happen. Yeah, so what else happened? Last year was crazy. It was like an enormous initiation in business and putting something together from scratch. At that point, I didn't quite know how 55 was going to circle back to the rest of my work. I just trusted that it would. Mm -hmm. Because of COVID, the Masters in Narrative Therapy and Community Work had been put online, so I was able to start that. Ah, yeah, Um, we talked about that, actually. That's through the University of Melbourne, where I also work and study myself. That was the thread, I think, that first mm, led me to you. Exactly, yes. And, um, yeah, so earlier this year we published the first two books. I'm now working on the next two books. Um, We had the first summit. Yes. in June and the next summit will be next June mm-hmm. and yeah the next impact book is based in Africa so now we've got an Africa impact trip coming as well oh my god so you're going to Africa to, to meet Africa. all the people that next are going to be in your book next September October wow yeah and what drew you to Africa what felt mm. like because by the sounds of things so far if there's a pattern it's like mm. you have a clear channel to your intuition Mm. and it just it leads the way do you know yet what it's about with Africa or you just go this is the idea and I trust Mm. that it's the right one it felt right for the Mm. next book Mm -hmm. that was where it felt right and then the one after would be the Middle East Uh. so very much followed the thread that Mm -hmm. thread of curiosity and intuition Mm. which um is mildly crazy actually probably far far more than mildly um (laughs) But, you know, like the 1st of January, 
all of this happened or like that that crunch point of like what on earth am I doing on this planet what am I here for Mm. that happened in the middle of 2021 and then I launched the the book project in the January 2022 but it was the first of January 2022 that something in me went this is your go time go big and go quickly and go now wow before then those first two years in Bali everything in me was like no you just need to sit still Mm. which was so difficult especially in 2020 when I had friends and family saying we're in a pandemic you've got this skill set you're hanging out in Bali what are you doing Mm. but just everything in me was like it's not your time yeah so then when it was the start of 2022 and like that thing was just like go go now like what can you do you're just like okay like I just used everything of me for an entire year and a half until I went to the Mediterranean Mm. just recently and yeah just went for it absolutely went for it and it's not lost on me that the date was one one two two <laughs> when you pick up I'm that. sorry it's like I have this pattern mania going at the moment but that is crazy and mm. and sitting in that place of like waiting for the mm. flag to go mm. such a hard place to be in so difficult so difficult especially as I said like when you're a person that has been on purpose their entire life and then all of a sudden you're like what is this? Yeah. People live in this space? Yeah. <laughs> and it, But it shows you why you need to just let that be as long mm. as it is there because when it's time to go, you'll it's know time. and the thing that tells you it's time to go will carry you with the energy you need to get it done then. But yeah. if you try and force it before you're ready, just about, you know, as a means to escaping the quietness or the uncertainty Mm. you don't have the momentum behind you that can get the work done especially this is big work like you say it felt bigger than yourself and it felt bigger than what you currently had the skills to do at the time so that's been the last 18 months before you went to the Mediterranean yeah and you've kind of taken this whole new trajectory this first summit, I was not here. I met with you the week, I think, before the summit. Mm. We met at a cafe here in Ubud, but then I flew home to Melbourne. And then I watched online, though, as you had these incredible women from all over the world fly in, and I was reading all their stories, and I was like, oh, my God, you're doing the thing. Like, mm. this is the dream that was so vague to you at the start, and you set up your website... Funnily enough, you do seem to have a pattern about that New Year's period of like giving mm. a push because I remember you said back in your old job mm. you didn't have New Year's plans and so you set up this website and all the things and wanted to do yoga and women's circles and then you were like, whoa, that is not it. Mm. But it's like all the way back then you started setting up the infrastructure but then what happened June 2023, finally the thing came to life. So I love just like highlighting that the path can be long Mm. and you can kind of lose faith along the way easily I'm sure but you kept just taking next right step and next right step and just trusting yourself to guide you to what that was without needing to know exactly what it looked like and I struggle with that so I'm highlighting it as much for myself as for anyone listening who's in that thick of the mud of their journey and being like I know I need to just do this next thing but I don't know where that's leading and that's a hard place to be in and oftentimes that is the life that 
you end up living as soon as you leave like the nine to five job kind of life where you do have a clear trajectory always of where you're going because it's like I got to show up at this place Mondays to Fridays and that just is the momentum that keeps me going and I don't have to question I don't have to lead it myself I can just be the passenger in that vehicle of someone else's making and so I love that you've kind of just <laughs> flown this, I don't know, jetpack around, bouncing between all of these different ideas without knowing where it's going. But I love sitting with you here today, a few days off your next launch, which is going to be at the Ubud Writers mm. Festival, just when you've really given birth to the thing that mm. was the vague kind of seed that was planted years ago. So I'm really impressed by that so thank you for sharing I think that's such a inspirational story and it shows that it is a messy path but it's a worthwhile path yeah and so where are you at now then so if we can take us to present day yeah gosh I've just come back from 10 weeks in the Mediterranean Mm -hmm. if you remember the original plan leaving Australia was the Silk Road yes and it's funny after being in Bali so long I was like I have no interest in doing the whole backpacking thing like Mm -hmm. none whatsoever but I felt um, very strongly a year ago that I needed to complete the puzzle piece Mm -hmm. and I needed to 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 kind of close off that tail end I was like just skip all the bit in the middle and just take me to like Italy Mm -hmm. (laughs) Italy and Greece always a good plan always so it's funny I think I thought for years that I was I also had the vision of uh, Greece and Sicily for ages as well Mm. and I think I had this thing that it was going to be like I don't know life changing in all these remarkable ways or I don't know meet the love of my life or something like that and it wasn't in that sense but I just needed that space for me Mm. like I still worked across along the way but it was very very surface level stuff but after that the year and a half it was like I just needed to give myself that and that was a complete non-negotiable in Mm. my brain and yeah like even within that like the the trip to Israel and oh wow yeah yeah I left two days like that in my brain like that wasn't even a part of my plan to go to Israel but just it just came to me so strongly I was like I just have to go now Mm. and then I left and two days later there was a war yeah I remember like you was literally so Michelle and I when we planned to record this podcast Mm. only a few weeks ago literally you texted me just getting off the plane from Mm. Israel back into Malta Mm. so what a strange kind of timing that was yeah bizarre it's like you can't you can't make this shit up no (laughs) you cannot (laughs) something in you knows when and how and when Mm -hmm. and all these things things need to happen Mm. or need to not happen yeah and it doesn't actually make sense at the time no yeah yeah so just thoroughly crazy and it's it's weird like arriving back again in Bali and I was just thinking as we were saying just a second ago that this was this is a home touch base spot but it's not always meant to be like I'm not necessarily meant to be here full time Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. so a big thing for me through this whole journey has been where is home yeah like you know Melbourne where I'm from that very clearly doesn't feel like home I felt when I left so clean that I was complete Mm. with Melbourne and every time I go back I'm purely there to visit so it does opens this question then during the pandemic I was like well of course it's Bali because there was no other option Mm. but then when you open the world up 
it still feels unanswered and I have times where I'm totally at ease with that and I have mm. times where I really struggle with it and I'm like no I need to know mm. and you know I go to Australia and people in Australia are like are you living in Bali forever now or when are you coming home and I actually I don't know mm. so I feel like there is a spot but I also I don't know if I can control when that lands either. I think it's a it's an open question to sit with and to ponder and to turn over. Um, in some ways, I feel like it might be determined by a future partner mm. um, and their needs, and that might help to solidify that. Mm. But at this point, I don't have a, this is the full-time home, if there's even one full-time home. I mean, it might be Australia, Bali, and the Mediterranean, which yeah. would be totally cool. That would be <laughs> literally the ideal lifestyle, I would say. I think so. I just always wonder how do we – my question is always, and this is my rational brain, it comes online at the – best of times and goes how will you afford all of that that's always the mm. voice and it sounds like you've learnt to trust that that will come like if you're meant mm. to follow a call to a place mm. that the things will line up that make that materially possible it's it's an interesting thing to sit with in itself and I guess that's part of this journey it doesn't actually make sense and you don't know where whatever you need is going to come from or when but somehow it lands every time yeah it's crazy Mm -hmm. it's it's actually crazy it is actually crazy yeah and so I'm just conscious of your time Mm. what would you say is something you want to leave the audience to ponder based on this kind of three lives that we've just discussed now and the things that you've kind of garnered over your journey or maybe just the question you're sitting with now I definitely know there's one around you know what is home for you Mm. but what's kind of something that you feel like is an important lesson or insight that you just want to leave people with before we talk about how people can find you online I think a a thing I was thinking about when we were preparing was um, talking about the hero's journey, circling back. Mm. But the hero's journey is never fully complete because you're always, where you end, you're beginning again. Yeah. I feel like, like when I look at where I'm in the hero's journey, I feel like I'm close to the completion point, which they say that that completion point is the mastering of two worlds. Mm. Funny podcast title for that... (laughs) Well, that theory, right? Between two worlds is where we sit. When I left Australia, I had this thing that I wanted to be like this gypsy and I wanted to walk between the worlds. Mm. And I do feel like that is part of the notion of finding home now. Like where is somewhere that I feel like I can hold both worlds and, yeah, be be at that kind of point of mastery, I suppose, which I feel like I'm, I feel myself nearing it, mm. nearing it and nearing it every day. Mm. But, yeah, it's just, it's still, there's still a teeny weeny bit of a question, a bit of an unknown around what, what is that final, where, when are those little final pieces land and then what will it open up to? So, what is the piece of wisdom? That was the actual question. Well, it can just be a question for people to ponder and maybe Mm. that the, the wisdom there is that a cycle completing itself is not Mm. the end of the whole journey. Mm. I think that's something I've been learning over the years myself also I keep trying to get to that place where Mm. it finally all makes sense everything falls into place and forevermore I'm on the plateau and it's smooth sailing (laughs) and time and time again I'm reminded that that's not a place Mm. but that chapters and cycles do end Mm. 
Yes. So there is, there are these kind of micro journeys along the way that feel like they get at least somewhat completed and tied in like not so much a neat bow usually, but like you can kind of, I don't know, somehow put it to the side and go, yeah, that feels like that part of me or my story is closed for now. Mm. Maybe it will open up back again because it's also not linear or neat because it's life. Mm. But that it's only really then the opening, like you say, of another thing. And then we go searching again. And it's like it doesn't, there isn't the final sweet spot where it will all make sense and then it's done. Mm. But nonetheless, we just keep listening for that next right step and the next right step and usually like that time frame that it will give us is like 24 hours worth of clarity or a week's worth of clarity at best Mm. um (laughs) good to have goals to go towards and I do admire that about you that you Mm. do you do have this sense of being able to plan Mm. and put like a milestone in the distance that you want to orient towards but then you're also open to like letting the ship sail a bit east and a bit west and and eventually making it towards that milestone but Mm. definitely happy to go off course along the way I think that's how you get there right Mm -hmm. like I've never been one that's just been like a tunnel focused person that's just going to let's just follow the little path I've I'm like I'm I'm like a cocker spaniel (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to reaching the goal I always get there not usually on time (laughs) and usually with a gazillion detours (laughs) And that's where we find ourselves, you know, back in Ubud, not sure if this is home or one part thereof, or like if you're going to bounce around many more places and maybe holding that loose concept of home is part of the learning as well. And just that it kind of can be many places and no places and it will always keep shifting and changing like holding on to sand and it's like kind of falling out through your fingers and you can't quite grasp it. So thank you so much for sharing everything today with us, Michelle. I'm very grateful that we had this chat. We spoke a bit before we started recording. I mentioned it already on this recording, but I've been having just a really rough few days reckoning with my ego or something that wants to die within me or be born or something. And having this chat has felt really right and really timely. And so therefore I have faith that it needed to come through not only for myself Mm. but for people that are going to listen to this Mm. so thank you for generously sharing I know you're busy because I will be attending your book launch in a few days and so there's probably so much that goes into that but I just want to finally ask where can people find you how can they get in touch and follow your work yeah uh well my name is Michelle Gardiner G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R Uh, so you can find me on all the normal places, Facebook and Insta and what's the other one, LinkedIn. Um, my work is the Aspire series, A-S-P-I-R-E. So www.theaspireseries.com and also the sa- it's on the same channels as well. Awesome. And I'll put those in the show notes so you can all follow along. And maybe, who knows, maybe a listener, ooh, here you go. Mm. One person listening to this, I'm sure, will come to your summit next year at least one I feel like we've put out the energy and someone that hears this is going to be like oh that's just what I need so if you do take a look at Michelle's work and you feel curious feel free to get in touch and Mm. definitely come out to the summit next year it sounds like a very powerful powerful space and I'm sure it will continue to evolve Mm. thank you again for coming on 
Pleasure. And I'm sure we will be in touch. We might have a part two in us at some point where we see what unfolds from here. And I'm very excited to see where it all takes you. So thank you, Michelle. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. Dialing in from the dark night. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just one more thing. Could you please, if you enjoyed this, if it resonated with you at all, pass it on or share it with just one other person that you think might benefit from hearing it. And if you like the podcast, please follow along on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. I think you can hit follow. There's some button, you'll find it. If you rate and review the podcast, then it screws with the algorithms in a delicious way and we get these stories out to more people who might benefit from hearing them so that is the currency of this game I do feel icky asking but I'm going to do the brave thing so please like share do the things you do and we'll see you next time